I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the wet pitch at Elland Road of the podcast, slowing down the play and generally causing mayhem. And I'm joined by the Stuart Dallas outside-the-box banger of the podcast, Tom Alderson, if at first you don't succeed. And finally, the Robin Koch backpass of the podcast. Why do you do this to us? It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm all right. Um, obviously, now now Leeds have lost a game in quite comprehensive fashion. The world is awful. Um, all our players are crap. <laughs> um, and then I've got to go and watch the fucking US election uh, after this, um, which is not going to make my make my world any better, is it? Let's be honest. Yeah, of course. Oh, sorry. Po- no politics. Do apologise. No politics. No yeah. politics. Yeah. <laughs> no politics on here. <laughs> this is a safe space. <laughs> Tom Alderson, how are you? I, I'm all right, thank you. I think that analogy for me in the introduction basically means that I just stumble upon my points whenever I'm on this podcast, <laughs> which is fairly accurate, really. <laughs> it was um, almost inevitable that Dallas was eventually going to score from outside the box, and uh, it was almost inevitable that it was going to be a goal like that. So it yeah. feels pretty fitting, really, and I'm pleased for him. It's his first Premier League goal. It means that he scored in every tier of the English football now, which is a nice a nice little stat oh, for you. That's him and uh, Robert, Earn- Robert Earnshaw, I think he was the other. He was the one for years, wasn't he, that was the only player that had done that. Is that right? I think so. Mm. I think anyway, so. That's a, it's a nice stat. It is. Um, right, no more small talk. This is the serious stuff now. No excuses for for frivolity or anything like that. We uh, have to. We've got loads of questions. As always, thank you for your questions. Uh, we had over fifty questions, so we've tried to fit in as many as we can. But obviously, we can't uh, include all of them, or we would be here all night. Um, but we have we have lost to Leicester four um, one, and the only question that I can ask Darren is, how did that feel? Well, it felt pretty much. Like the worst case scenario of what I was worried about at the end of the last podcast in that I thought that in, in, in the same way that I really felt that, that Villa were there for the taking for us and that they were made for us to be, similarly I felt that, that we were the same thing for Leicester and unfortunately because of, because of 
ultimately because of a really terrible first 20 minutes where we really played into their hands time and time again. I think that's that's ultimately how it played out. So when I was uncharacteristically glum at the end of the, the, the preview podcast, that's why, <laughs> because of that. <laughs> uh, we've got a question from Wiggy. He says, Cox error and Bamford's miss seem to leave us deflated. We couldn't make a pass for the first 20 minutes and subsequently found ourselves two down and chasing the game. Bad day at the office or something more fundamental? Tom Alderson, how are you looking back on that game? I think the first 20 minutes, I don't, it seemed that we really struggled with the conditions uh, compared yeah. to Leicester. And I'm not, I'm not really sure why that was. Um, looking back at the game, I, I kind of felt... I after I was feeling quite positive leading into the game, and then you, um, I listened to the preview podcast, and all the positivity was taken out of me to the point that I actually put a bet on Leicester. Um, oh wow! Oh, sorry, mate. No, it's it's fine because I, I, I didn't feel too bad after the game then because I was expecting it. <laughs> Did you make a lot of money though? At least I think I made. I think I put a tenner on and got twenty five quid back. So it's not go. it's not That's too right. bad, is it? I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think as, as soon as I saw they were setting up in the back three, um, I just I didn't think it was going to go well at all. I thought we were going to see very similar to the uh, to what we saw in the Wolves game. Yeah, and that was pretty much what we did see, right? Yeah, exactly. But when I, I watched I watched some parts of the game back today, and I really I really did focus on the fir- the first twenty minutes because I felt that was really important. And actually, I don't think other than the, other than the goals, I don't think we were that that bad there was there was the there was the point at which um obviously cock cock gave the ball away for the goal and then there was the one where he threw himself at a ball a long ball from casper schmeichel and and got under it and and that let them in it was a cooper moment where he sort of like yeah wanged his back leg behind him in a bid to sort of he misjudged oh. the flight of the ball and yeah stuck his back leg out and tried and that, that wasn't great and there was maybe one other counter-attack a notable yeah. counter-attack i thought we were all right yeah, I think if you, what I would recommend people do if they can is watch games back because on the on rewatching, almost inevitably the game changes in my head from what I, what my emotional yeah. response was to it, uh, and that was another that was another game where I kind of thought we were a bit sloppy in the first 20 um i think the conditions made a big difference because we passed the ball a lot we passed the ball more than other teams almost invariably and you could see that throughout the first 20 minutes when it was absolutely lashing down we were playing square balls across the pitch they were lagging up on the pitch yeah and leicester were just running through picking them up and i think even even cox um back pass i mean i don't think it's great but even even then I, i think he's I think he's done the right thing. If you watch that, if you watch the clip back, you can see Luke Ayling coming in at getting out of position and then realizing that Cox coming through, and he just sort of puts his arm up, being like, "Play it back to Melier, and we'll carry on going." You see Liam Cooper sort of making that run out to the to the left back area, like he does when we're in possession. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Cox just undersold the pass, and I think the, the, that married with the fact that there's at least two other notable passes that were just under hit. I think that just makes me think that the, the the surface water on the pitch just slowed the ball down a lot. Absolutely, I, th- I think I, th- I think for me, if Cox's going to play that pass, if because I I I think he should have put it into touch and regrouped. That would be what I would have ideally wanted him to do. But I think if he is going to pass the ball back to Melier, he needs to play it on a different line because he plays it effectively into the centre of the goal. And I think if he plays it right wide to the right of the goal, 
Melier gets there and there's no danger and 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 mm. I think that's I think what happened was that there, there was some errors in decision making as, as much as there was yeah. in anything else it was it was it was I think what you need in in situations like that is senior players who are going to manage the game situation and and that's not what happened in the first half they just kind of blindly played as they normally do in a in a circumstance where it wasn't really possible to do so yeah. It was weird with Cox's back pass as well. He kind of tried to come across, and I think it was block Harvey Barnes, um, which I then... He almost overran it, didn't he? It's yeah. almost like he, he ran past the line of the ball and then had to come back, and then yeah. because he's right-footed rather than left-footed, I think, did he play the pass with the outside of his right foot? I he think did. he did, yeah. And I think he was yeah. probably stretching for it a bit as well. So there was just lots of little things, but like split-second little things that just yeah. led to that first goal. Yeah, and I think that's it's, it's almost... Um, there's almost like... Um, a litany of little errors that always lead to our goals uh, conceded. Yeah. There's you can you can always trace like usually it's something like who's not tracking whom, um, leaving leaving someone free in the man marking system. But there, there's almost always like a little litany of errors that if you just trace them through and you see oh Luke Ayling has let Harvey Barnes get beyond him. Yeah. Robin Cock has to cover, but then because of the sur- I think it's again probably because of the surface water. He just, he just slightly overruns it, and then it's out of position for the pass. Plays a shoddy pass, uh, and then from there you're sort of in in a in a situation where everything everything's um, up against you. And it just felt like yesterday we had a few of those, and Leicester just did everything pitch perfect whenever we did that, and and they made the most of it. But yeah, a few more questions. Um, <clears throat> I Leeds, therefore I am. Uh, another Leeds podcast. They sent in a question saying, "Are there thresholds of poor performance based on absentee players, and was that an example of it? I.e., was that actually fine within a context?" And there was a lot of people, I think, on our Twitter yesterday, sort of suggesting, "Well, we were missing Rodrigo, we were missing Rafinha, uh, we we're missing Diego Llorente. That's like a hundred million pounds worth of players. So once you bring those in, these issues are going to be solved." Um, what would you say to that, Tom? That's- don't think we can really say that when we just said after the Villa game that we can manage without these players because of the system yeah. and Bielsa. I think it was the, the Calvi one's weird because it, it, that we miss him much more in a game like that um, than we do in a game like Villa where you can get click there. Um, and also because Leicester were playing free at the back, we've kind of when we've played teams that played free at the back in I think so Sheffield United and Wolves, having Rodrigo there to play as a second striker. Suits was better than having Pablo there, um, and then Pablo having to um, mark a centre back. It just it, it makes it difficult. So I think we did probably miss Rodrigo yesterday more than anyone else, and I think yeah, I think that definitely sh- uh, showed up. We're going to talk about um, structural issues, I think, in in the first half after this. Uh, but I do think there's a lot of <clears throat> there's a lot of structural issues with the way that Leicester played that we didn't really deal well with in the first twenty as well. So we'll 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 say that. But first, I think let's just one more question before we get going, which is from Elliot, who says, "Why can't we beat teams that are trained to defend and counter attack?" I don't mean Cardiff and Stoke sit behind the ball and pray proper defensive teams. So I guess teams like Wolves and and Leicester as we've seen. So Darren, what's your what's your thinking on this? Because everyone has been coming to us now being like. We're playing Palace on the weekend. How on earth are we going to not do a Leicester against them? Uh, Leicester and Wolves are both really, really good teams who play this this system week in, week out, um, and have and have got excellent results from it. And I, you know, I think that if you're going to say we can't beat teams that are trained to do this, well, I think if you may remember that that Man City also lost heavily at home to Leicester early on this season. I think that they they're. they're 
a a really well-coached, really well-drilled team that have got really dangerous attacking players. So when when they go into transition... They they are gonna cause problems in a way that that as you know that teams in in the in the championship just didn't um, because they were adapting their their game plan to, to to suit us whereas Leicester and Wolves play this this style of football and have kind of mastered it you know Le- Leicester are, are, are gonna cause a lot of teams problems doing the same thing this year um, and and similarly with Wolves I know Leicester sometimes play a more advanced game but but when they decide to play this. When they decide to sit behind the ball in, in defensively, what is what is effectively a five four one, very deep, closing off all the spaces, they're going to cause any team problems. Yeah, it kind of frustrates me a bit when people say, "Oh, you know, Brendan Rodgers is out tactic Marcelo Bielsa." And you know, we we've known this, we know this for years, right? We, yeah. we, when you're struggling to play against Nathan Jones's Luton Town in this way, yeah, you, there should be no surprise when. Um, Brendan Rodgers comes along and plays the tactic that they play, as you say, pretty much week in, week out. Especially this season, they've played yeah. the the three four three this season all the time. That that's not out tacticing someone. That's simply having the personnel to play that style and and pulling it off. And also, look at half time, the, the the xG was pretty level. We could have, yeah. depending on which models you look at, like you can give or take maybe some of them. But we did create some fairly decent chances in the first half, yeah. even despite giving away a goal. With like our pretty much the first chance we conceded in the in the game, it was pretty much was the first chance we conceded in the game. So it's one of those ones. Even even then, we yeah we lucked a goal later on, but you know Pablo hits the bar again. That would that's a low xG chance, but you know if that goes in, you're two two, and um and and the game probably looks quite different. That's not to say that Leicester probably wouldn't have gone on and got something from it, and it's not to say that they didn't deserve to beat us. But it's it's frustrating, I think, to to read a lot of the stuff that comes out of this, which just looks at the scoreline and then sort of fills in the blanks rather than just watching the game and seeing what happens. But uh, before I start ranting too much, let's, um, <laughs> let's jump into some of the um, questions. So obviously, one of the big questions is about. Um, the decision to field Matthias Click. I think, to be honest, I was quite surprised at this. I was convinced that he would play Strauch, um simply because you know we don't really have the options in central midfield in in the yeah. eights positions for us to be able to afford to do this. So, um, a couple of questions: Brolin ate the pie. What was Bielsa's thinking regarding Strauch? Because the balance of the midfield seemed well unbalanced. It felt defensively weak. And then London Whites with the with the nice and blunt. Why was Click so awful in DM? Um, I think that's up for debate. But uh, he wants to jump on this, Darren. What's what's your thinking on the whole Strauch and then how Click played? I think that that Strauch was was left on the bench purely because Shackleton had made such a bit in, big impact in the Villa game, and I felt that that it was nothing more complicated than Bielsa rewarding Shackleton for an excellent performance that would that be my view on it um I, I don't think click was awful i think i think he made some mistakes with with the um there was the there were a couple of there was at least one really obvious square ball which he telegraphed and which which leicester picked off and then there was the weird backwards header um that that caused us a few problems as well but i i, I, I don't think he i don't think he was awful and defensively he's nowhere near as good as as calvin phillips and that and i think that's pretty obvious but I think in terms of his use of the ball, he was actually pretty decent. I thought I, th- I thought he helped us build build the play. I don't think Leicester were playing with um, an obvious uh, ten, so I think I think that m- may have played into it as well. So that um, some of the defensive responsibilities were going to ob- <coughs> obviously go out wide rather than through the through the centre. But I thought I thought he was all right. Basically, I'm not as positive about this as Darren is. I think Click was 
pretty poor in the first half, especially. Um, Barnes and Pratt just seemed to be all over him, um, which meant I just think he there was a lot of him passing the ball sideways. wasn't very like progressive with it at all. Um, but I don't think that's a slight on click um, personally. I think because I think Stroik uh, could have had the same problems. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but defensively, would would Stroik have helped us? Maybe a little bit. But again, he's not the most mobile player. So them hitting us on the break wouldn't would that have probably? I don't think it'd have been any different with Stroik there. Really, maybe if there's a few occasions where he's but he's his man marking slightly better. But I'd, I think it's I think it's more the system. Um, in that situation, that's the problem more than click play yeah. in that position. Phillips would have done better, but yeah, it was the two on one in um, in that position. Yeah, do we? I mean, that's an interesting question. Do you not think that Phillips would have struggled as well? I mean, it, it seemed to me that what we were dealing with was a classic Leeds United inability to play out from the back, which was then ma- matched by the because their Leicester structure was so unhelpful matched against our own defensive structure. There was just a huge amount of space, and he was expected to cover like two two central mid well two wide forwards and a striker um and they just walked around him and um I'm not entirely convinced that Phillips would have made much difference as well but for me and and I said I was going to talk about the structure for me the issue is is that when you watch Leicester play in their 3-4-3 their front three plays really narrow and I tried to impress this in the um in the tactical preview and the problem with that is that because we because we do our plus one at, at the back marking system you have your two centre backs marking the striker, so Jamie Vardy in this case, and then you have your two full backs marking the two at wide forwards, quote unquote wide forwards. Um, but when those two forwards are really, really narrow in defensive phases, the two full backs have to get really, really um, narrow as well. There's, I've got a clip from the game actually, just going through it for the um, for the tactical uh, the video analysis that I do every week, and you can see that. Um, You've basically got your two centre backs, and then you've got Dallas and um, Ailing in front of them, marking yeah. the two wide forwards. Yeah, and I think the problem was that in the first half, because we kept giving the ball away in um, in transition. Now maybe that's because Leicester pressed well. I I kind of think it was mainly to do with the um, the, the the conditions because after the rain stopped, we started playing fine. Um, yeah. But when we gave the ball away in transition, then you've got your two. Fullbacks in attacking wide positions because we build up through the fullbacks, and you've got their two wide forwards narrow in the space between around Click, and so it meant that it meant that Click was always just being walked past because there was just two on one every time in that situation. Um, and I think the changes in the second half for me were about just giving Dallas a little bit more of a helping hand, yeah. being able to come inside. And so Costa played deeper and almost played like a wing back and, and was able to cover that area so that so that Dallas could get a little bit more narrow um, in, in those situations. I think we should probably have switched formation to a... And at times it almost looked like we were playing um, three at the back um, and just gone man for man on them and maybe I mean again you, you can have your defensive infielder and then him dropping in between if you if you really want to have a man over but I genuinely think it would have been more helpful for us to just match them man for man and just ditch the the um the plus one stroke I know that's a, a stupid thing to say because it was never going to happen yeah but I think in the first 20 minutes it would have helped us out a lot because we just had we had that constant gap between the fullbacks and the players that they were marking I think Shackleton was the way that Costa did in the second half. I think Shackleton was trying to do that with Dallas a bit, but he 
he wasn't doing it very well, uh, basically. Because uh, when it was, there were times when I thought Dallas moved into midfield and Shackleton seemed to drop in there, but he didn't really seem to know what he was doing. That's probably why he was hooked at half time and Costa moved there in the second half. I did think Leicester were, were quite impressive in their press, particularly. Um... They were, they were quite smart because they, they pressed early and then dropped back once we managed to beat it and, and held their shape. But they pressed Melier very well, particularly, and I, th- I thought that they rec- obviously recognised how important he is to some of our build-up play, and he never really got the, got the chance to pick the passes in the way that he likes to do. They'd obviously watched the City game. So Phil Hayes tweeted yesterday saying that Bielsa says he got the team structure wrong in the first half, so he clearly must have changed something, and I think that's what it must have been. But yeah, it just didn't work out in the first half. So, and um, we had a couple of we had quite a few questions about this anyway. So um, Daniel Moroni, who has appeared on this very podcast, said, "Why do you think that we went with two eights, Shackleton and Hernandez, rather than Roberts, and play four four two ish?" Seems like we didn't get the press right and they were caught between pressing Justin and Fuchs and marking Mendy and Tielemans. Um, this improved in the second half when Harrison slash Costa went up with Bamford. Um, Jack Guy said, did the Shackleton experiment actually go that badly or was it just the scoreline that made it seem that way? And Jacob Stanbridge said, interested on your thoughts on why Bielsa went with Shacks. Great transitional player, but not so many opportunities versus a deep opponent. Feel the team would have benefited more from a defensive, the defensive solidity of Strauch, allowing Click to do his normal combination work at number eight and I guess there's something we've not really talked about right is that we can talk about the defensive um, fragilities that Leeds had yesterday but we've not really talked about the fact that they didn't after the second half they didn't really create much at all in the way of chances and this is this is partly the big worry with teams who sit deep right it's not it's not even that you know they're going to hit you on the break because against Wolves they didn't really hit us on the break that much Um, we could have got through that game and and drawn nil nil the issue with Wolves was we just didn't look like scoring in a million years uh, and I think the same was true a little bit in the second half we just looked a little bit devoid of ideas and we we just do that thing where we end up crossing balls into the box in a bid to to try and score so um, let's talk about Shackleton first but then maybe we could talk about the the attacking side of things too um, yeah Darren what's your thoughts on Shackleton yeah I think there, there were a few times when when defensively he looked a little bit lost really when uh, he, he kind of lost his man a few times he, 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 uh, for Leicester's second goal you know notionally I think he should have been picking up Tielemans um, and then he he passed him passed him on but but yeah I, th- I think that he kind of looked a bit all at sea uh, defensively I think I think in terms of um his attacking involvement, I think he really struggled to get involved in the game in the way that he'd done against Villa. And I think it is purely because he is the sort of player that likes to explode into spaces and, and be found. And there just weren't the spaces available for him to run into. Um, so when we were getting in the kind of neat and tidy interplay or trying to find a gap, he's not particularly the, the player you want to put his foot on the ball and find find a clever pass. He's the one that you want running onto the clever pass and um, it just wasn't really happening for him. So I felt it was I felt it was right to, to bring him off um, at, at half-time. I, I don't think I think I think he'll learn a lot from it. I don't think it means anything in terms of how good he is or isn't. And I think that's the mistake we always fall into, isn't it? That you know Shackleton was great against Villa, so he's amazing, and now he had a, a relatively poor game against Leicester. I just I just think that there's a learning experience for him there in terms of making sure he's diligent in his defensive work and and that that you know and that he's got to learn how to get himself more involved in the game if he is going to play as an eight. I also think you know that that's just good advice not to read too much into individual results, yeah. um, because I think people are now going to do this whole 
narrative of well any team that sits deep against us is going to cause us problems which I don't think is necessarily true as I've said I don't think Wolves caused us huge amounts of problems um, and I think that Leicester City are pretty much the gold standard of a team that can play like that because yeah. they've got Jamie Vardy because they've got Harvey Barnes and because they've got James Madison who they can bring on as well you know that's just, that's a really elite sort of counter-attacking unit that you, you've got there so yeah of course it's, it's annoying and, and it's annoying to have given up mistakes and even if we probably deserve to win, we didn't deserve to win 4-1 and um, just sort of letting the cart go before the horse is, is never a good yeah. um, response to these sorts of things. Um, the other thing I'd say is just interesting what we we Leeds played in a 4-1-4-1 yesterday um, and we, we we talk about the, the two midfielders as eights um, and obviously in those two eights we had Shackleton and Pablo Hernandez. Yeah. And I think that is that is not... A defensive unit at all. If you if you think of two eights in, in terms of like two midfielders who you'd be happy to play in a in a two in a four four two or in a uh, in a four two three one or something like that, I just I just wouldn't consider those two to be particularly defensive players as well, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if anyone has any thoughts on this. I've not put it in the running order, but um, whether or not we thought that. It feels almost to me that Shackleton and Hernandez are almost two similar kinds of players. Um, and when you consider the fact that Shackleton is is maybe a bit more diminutive, and then Pablo's obviously yeah. small too, but he's also old. Um, do we do we think that it, that that was a mistake to go in with those two in the central midfield? Hmm. No one's really talked about this, have they? No, I think I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting point. I mean, I don't think we were. I think the 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 one counter to that that I would say is that I don't think we were notably overrun in the midfield at any point in the game. It was it was more to do with the transitions. Um, so I th- I think that if if we were in a game against, say, I don't know, for the sake of argument, any team that plays decent possession based football which we know Leicester can do but that's not that's not what they were doing last night um, then I think you, you could very well say that you know that Shackleton and Pablo would be would be a weak pairing in that situation but but because because the game was was very much one where we, we were trying to be on the front foot we were trying to pick through Leicester's defense um, I felt I, I don't think that that was a notable weakness but I think it could be a notable weakness I guess my question is sort of pointing at the the fact that in the at least in their transitional phases, they just got through that area so quickly. Yeah. If you think about the goals that were scored, I mean, the goal, the first goal, we didn't even actually see what happened on no. the first viewing because it was so quick after Bamford had scored that, uh, missed that header that um, they were still showing the replay of it on Sky, but, but before we saw the goal, and so that's just how quick they got forward, and it just it felt maybe a, a few times that there was the ball just sort of came to their either to their like wing backs or their um or their central midfielders without re- and it was sort of just punted forward without really any pressure on the ball yeah well the, the the first and third goals both came from from long balls from their left back area didn't they so i don't think you can really kind of i mean you you might point to the press and say yeah. that we weren't quick enough to get to them from that point of view but but it's not like they passed through as it was it was very much long balls into 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 dangerous sure. dangerous areas but yeah i hate to see what you're saying Anyway, that's um, that's all all by the by. Um, we've got another question on Shackleton from Rob Collins, which was: Is there a position you feel confident Shackleton would be able to nail down in the first team in the short or long term? Tom, what's your uh, answer to that? I think long term, you'd see him as the probably the more attacking eight is where he'll be. I, I don't think he's got that ability really to play the the more defensive one. Short term, um, I think personally, if everyone's fully fit then I'd, I'd 
don't really see him being near the team apart from I don't know probably more likely in a in a right back position but that's me really stretching here to be honest yeah it's funny I've I don't know. I've I've always been criticised for being a little bit down on Shackleton, which is, I think maybe maybe semi true. But I, my my worry with Shackleton is always that he has these like great games every once in a while. So he has like the Derby um, playoff semi final um, appearance where he did really well, and um, he obviously had the game against Villa. But then other times you sort of you just kind of think, how's he going to fit into this team long term? In so far as if he's going to be a an attacking eight, he's got he's got to have some creativity, and I don't feel like he's got enough creativity to be there. And I think he gets his he gets his upside from from being short, uh, sort of explosive over short dif- distances and and finding space when there's space available. And yeah, obviously there's there's going to be games where that that those sorts of um, things are possible. But then even even then, if you've got someone like Rodrigo, I just can't see Bielsa being like, yeah, well, this is a game where we're going to have more space. Let's play Shackleton instead of Rodrigo. I, I think that that position is always going to be tried, at, at least as far as Bielsa is concerned, to be filled by someone who is a creative baller in that sense. And so it just sort of puts him on on the lower down the pecking order from the off. Yeah, I mean, I think he is. I think he is lower down the picking order I think his natural position in the squad is the kind of reserve for click and and it's it's kind of as simple as that really I know I know he interprets the role differently from from click but I think he he can um he's shown he's shown in the past that he can have a really good game playing as the kind of box to box eight rather than the more advanced eight and I, I think that that is his natural home uh, either that or the right wing or, or as a right wing back in in the in the in the 3313 more based system but but I think you're right he's, he's not he's not currently nailing down a first team place and I think it's a combination of him you know not necessarily taking his chances when he gets them like last night but also not necessarily being given enough minutes at a lower level to develop in that way. And I, I think that, that, you know, more more minutes in the championship last season would have done him a lot of good. I also think, you know, the, the teams that he's played well against have been Frank Lampard to Derby County and yeah. um, and Dean Smith's Aston Villa. And with all the will in the best will in the world, those are, those are the sorts of sides where you're going to expect that he's going to find space to play in. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, it, there's a, there's a, a massive golfing quality between a even even Villa, who I I'm pretty high on Villa to be honest. I think they've got a great squad, but um, when it comes to when it comes to Jamie Shackleton, I, I think um, when it, when it came to the Leicester game, I don't think that he he just looked out of his depth a little bit. And um, I guess again, I just don't want to really respond to ninety minutes of football and just write him off on the basis of that. All you can say is that, that Villa's defensive setup is made for a player like Shackleton and Leicester's isn't, and and I yeah. think it I think it boils down to being as simple as that. And because he hasn't had had as many first team minutes as other players, he's not going to be able to respond to to those challenges in the same way that someone like Click, mm. who's got a lot of experience, who's who's probably a much more savvy passer of the ball, is able to do so. So mm. I, I think it's. I think it's as much to do with the structure of the opposition as it is to do with, with Shackleton in and of himself. We should save him for games against Chelsea and Man United then, if that's the case. We'll have more space there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there we go. Actually, to be honest, Man United, I think, is going to be very similar to Leicester, yeah. unfortunately, yeah. which is which pains me to say it, but there we are. Maybe maybe Chelsea, yeah. Um, I would also say, you know, against Villa, I thought Villa were tactically very naive. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people recognised that. A lot of people realised just how 
how narrow they got in their defensive block and um, just how much space there was to exploit there. So I guess I guess what I'm saying is I want to see him, like you say, perform against a, a team like like a, a, a just a maybe a higher um, um, Premier League side, just so that we can see that he has got it. And again, it's and again I've said I don't want to judge him on 90 minutes. He's not even had that. He's had 45 minutes in yeah. in pissing rain in in Yorkshire in the middle of the night it's like it's it's a horrible match to judge someone on but I guess I I just want to I think that for the sort of player that he is he and I hate saying this because it's too proper football man but he just doesn't seem physically adept enough for the sort of role if he was going to be like an out and out creative player like someone like Pablo then you you sort of allow that don't you you sort of think well you need to have a little bit of of litheness and guile and stuff like that but I I guess for him he just for me he just seems to have like really quick bursts of pace um and yeah maybe you're right Tom maybe he is just a maybe this is why Bielsa's tried him at right back so often in the under 23s because actually in the long run he sees him as as a an option out there um anyway before this becomes a podcast about Jamie Shackleton um let's keep on pressing through the the reams and reams of criticism that we've got about Leeds yesterday so um Rich Priestley says do you think we gave the ball away so much because we were scared of their breakaway skills a self-fulfilling prophecy um I think we've covered that already I think we we sort of see the first 20 minutes being poor because of the conditions and um and because of the Leicester press and it, did you want to add they made us pass sideways, which which is always something where you, I think you're more likely to kind of give the ball away in those sort of situations. Whereas when when we play uh, in a more, when we're able to play in a more vertical way, it doesn't matter as much if we give the ball away. Whereas if we're passing um, across the pitch and and they break, we're in trouble. Yeah, I, would, I should have got Josh Hobbs to um, actually get the um, stat zone pass maps because they're really helpful at determining yep. where the pass passes broke down it felt like whenever we tried to build up down the wing we just gave the ball away over and over again in the first 20 um whether or not that's true i don't know we've got some questions about passing and i've got some of the um the the data but the problem is is for the first 20 minutes we were bad but then after that we were actually okay yeah um, and so the data doesn't actually look too bad but um yeah in in light of that uh, Andre JML says, what happened to our pressures? Seemed to be much slower and less cohesive than usual. Or was this a result of weirdly poor passing? Seemed to get caught in transition all the time. Um, I looked. I did look through the um, the pressures. Um, unsurprisingly, you, so you'll, you, you'll be unsurprised to know that we pressed um, Villa more than we pressed Leicester. So I've got the Leicester and the Villa stat. So we made 140 presses or pressing actions against Villa, uh, and we only made 115 um, against um, against Leicester. But that said, um, we made f- fewer pressures, but those pressures were more likely to be completed. So we completed 41.7% of our pressures versus Leicester, was only 32% of our pressures versus Villa. So, I mean, overall, when you when you look at it like that, I mean, we, we actually completed more pressures um, against uh, lesser than we did against Villa, so I don't think that I don't think it was our pressing that f- that fell down again. I think it's just structural stuff, and I don't think the pat- the passing doesn't show up either. Um, it doesn't show up that bad. So we had Craig Humble who said pass completion and turnovers in our favour in the first half. Um, we seem to be stray passing, and whose job was it to win the ball back? Um, so again, the passing statistics were um, against uh, Leicester. We had a, a pass completion rate of uh, of eighty four percent. Whereas against Villa, where you would think that it would be higher, it was only seventy-eight percent. 
Um, so again, it, it's one of those things where I think we were just looking at the first 20 minutes and just extrapolating that against the whole of the game and saying, well, obviously it must have been worse. Well, ob- yeah, and I think the, the other thing is that, that game state and opposition approach also play into it because Leicester yeah. were, were playing a very, very pragmatic game in possession. They were, they were getting the ball forward quickly, um, they, whereas I think Villa fancy themselves a bit, so they were kind of trying to move the ball around a little bit more and that, that obviously falls into our into our press much more much more easily yeah no I totally agree with that and we do talk about game state here and I do think that comes into it when you're giving up a game a goal after two minutes in the sloppiest of circumstances you are in a lot of trouble in the Premier League Um, especially if you're a team like Leeds who are newly promoted and um, uh, you're playing against teams with the quality that can just sit back if you and then when you do that against the side who spend the whole week training to sit in a defensive block then yeah your work's cut out when when teams set up like that as well, it is going to encourage, um, well, like we said, to pass more sideways. So we're going to probably see more pass completions because of that. Yeah. Um, in terms of like the, the pr- to just go back to the pressures, I was surprised that we weren't closing their centre backs down very quickly when they got the ball back because I thought it was one something you um, highlighted quite a lot on the preview that they, they get the ball and they look up for Vardy straight away. So I would have thought yeah. that someone would have been sort of trying to uh, get to, I think who I don't know who was playing left centre back for them but we, he just seemed to have especially for the first goal he seemed to have Fuchs. a lot of time Fuchs, yeah, Fuchs. He, just, yeah. he seemed to have a lot of time Fuchs. on the ball just to get up and um, and I think that was because of probably playing Pablo there over Rodrigo yeah no I agree yeah. with that as well it happened both sides as well it was um it was very much the case that they would get the ball on the back three and just try and siphon it around to the other side and then get that defender to just push forward into space. And it happened quite a bit um, on both sides, I thought. So, yeah, again, it's uh, it's easy to sort of look for solutions in the, um, in the, the data, but it's um, not really there, to be honest. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Anyway, let's move on quickly. So the second half, we had a couple of questions about the structures in the second half. So uh, Mickey T says, do you think that Bielsa got his team selection and his substitutions right? And um, Joe Hill says, mm, what the hell was going on with Harrison and Costa playing on the same side? Were we playing with two left wingers? Did we just invent a new formation? So let's start with the first question. Do we think that Bielsa got his team selection right? And caveat that with the fact that he came out and said he got the structure wrong. Um yeah, Tom, how would you how would you answer that? Would you have liked to have seen something different from the off? I think I would have liked Stroik in there, not necessarily because of the def- uh, him being more defensive than Click, but I would have just liked Click more further up the pitch. 
so I think apart from that, obviously, I think the team selection was prob- probably fine. And then I was happy with the Pervaders, uh substitution. Yeah. I thought he did pretty well when he came on. And personally, I probably would have liked to see Roberts from the start. Um, even though we've slagged him off quite a lot, I think he the the way they were set up probably suited Roberts more than I'm not going to say Pablo, so it's probably Shackleton. Um, and then who was the other sub? Alioski, but that was quite late, wasn't it? So I think not not really much we could say on that. He didn't have much chance to get in the game. I think that Roberts being brought in actually helped a little bit in terms of the press in that in that area. And again, I've already talked about the two eights in that situation. I do think Roberts doesn't offer a huge amount going forward in that situ- in that system, but he does at least offer some sort of defensive cover there. Um, what about the, um, the 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 structure in the second half, uh, uh, Darren? What did you what did you make of that? Um, I just thought it was about um, when when we were de- in in our defensive shape. I guess it was about making sure that Harrison was was more on their centre backs than than uh, than Pablo managed to be in the first half. So it's kind of we were dropping into effectively a four four two. I felt in the second half when 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 Leicester were in possession, um, and then. Um, yeah, I think I think um, Costa was in there to try and give us a, a little bit more solidity, so that so that maybe Dallas could come come inside and give a bit more support in the midfield. And then in our attack, um, I just felt we were trying to overload that side with with Costa and Harrison and try and create some overlaps, which we'd really struggle to do down that down their side in the in the, in the first half. I thought Costa got quite a lot of joy on the left in the first half and Pervader continued to do so in the second half so it was more about getting numbers over there I felt on the left I wonder as well when cause when he said that um, he sees Rafinha playing central and I'm wondering if this is something I'm, I'm, I might be stretch um, leaping a bit here but is he look? Is it something that maybe to try and break down these low block teams that you can play someone like a as one almost one of the eights but like more like a Pablo role in the eights and then rotate with the winger to sort of yeah. try and stretch the defence a bit and just make a bit bit more space. Yeah. I don't know, we might see it in future games or it might have just been a one-off for this game. Four wingers on each, on each side, you heard it here first. That's what's <laughs> gonna there was a point where we, do we have Pervader right wing, who's an actual he's a winger, Roberts yeah. who's a striker playing centre-attacking mid, Harrison yeah. who's a winger playing centre-attacking mid and uh, Costa who's a right winger playing left wing yeah. as our midfield yeah. four. You, you love to see it, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> You do not, yeah. <laughs> right, let's move on to start talking about like the two aspects of the game. Though We do this every week. We talk about the attacking aspects and uh, the defensive aspects just to give us some structure. Lots of questions about Pablo. So Sydney Roth Diamond says, better use of Pablo this season generally will be second 45 rather than first 60, question um, mark. And then Regan says, worried about Pablo readapting to this league, question mark, or has he just been really unlucky not finding a spark? Injury never helps, but we know that's what you get with him. Rodrigo's quality is more blatant when he's not on the pitch. Hope he's back soon, taken like a duck to water. So yeah, I guess this is the question, uh, Pablo versus Rodrigo, perhaps. Um, Let's just talk about Pablo first. This is the first time we've seen him really starting out in a game, is that right? He played against Liverpool from the start. Okay. Yeah. Your memory is better than mine. Only for certain things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's had plenty of time to get back back from injury now. And I didn't find him particularly convincing yesterday. Um, again, I've, I've already talked about like the two eights not really feeling like they suited for me. But I have no prob- problem playing Pablo if you have a bit more of a an assertive eight next to him. Um, but what did, what, what, what's the general take on, on Pablo from, from yesterday in particular? 
Darren, we'll go with you first. I think the the danger with with Pablo because of his age is that thing where you you read into every performance that's mm-hmm. not not great that he's over the hill and knack. I think Gordon Gordon Strachan said. Um, any poor performance up to the age of 30, you're just crap. And any poor performance over the age of 30, you're over the hill. Um, and I, 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 we've seen this with Pablo since he came to the club. He'll have games like this where he's trying things where they're not coming off, where he's not able to move the ball into dangerous spaces. Um, I felt like he was actually coming into the game more as an attacking force at the point at which he was brought off. Um, I felt he was starting to, and I'm not just talking about the shot. I thought he was starting to move the ball more effectively. The one, the one thing I always, always, always like about Pablo is it doesn't matter how poorly he's playing or how poor the last thing he did was. It, it doesn't matter. He's always wanting the ball. He will always still try and create um, things. He will always try the difficult thing. Um, I think yesterday was just one of those days where it just wasn't going to come off for him. Yeah, what about your take on um, Rodrigo, Tom? How do you how do you feel about Rodrigo over Pablo in that respect? I think um, Regan's got it spot on. Really, we did is we did really uh, miss him yesterday. Um, Morks, when we were trying to get crosses into the box, like in previous games, we've seen it doesn't look like we've got many players in there. Even when we've got Bamford and Rodrigo, so when we've only got Bamford, it just we've got no chance of breaking down these uh, low defenses and. I think Rodrigo also he kind of just went when we're struggling to get a foot on the ball he does just um he's one that will demand the ball which is similar to Pablo in in that way um but when you've got whoever Shackleton or Roberts in that in that position it just doesn't they're just not as confident that we're going to actually get something out of the game I don't particularly remember Rodrigo helping us break Wolves down though I I think you know I mean I I don't necessarily think that Rodrigo would have been like some magic magic pill to last night's game. Well, it's the Leeds United fan thing, isn't it? Every every viable solution exists off the field. Um, yeah. If if only we had taken X player or done X thing off the field, then on the field everything would have resolved itself. But I mean, no doubt Rodrigo has missed. I think again, it comes down to the pressing mainly, which is funny. Yeah. Right? I never thought yeah. I would say that. I never thought I would think of Rodrigo as, as being important because of his pressing. But I mean, he was fairly shonky at first as a presser, but yeah. his, has started fitting in well. And I, I feel as though we we sort of didn't give enough. We didn't put enough pressure on Leicester from from their first line of defence when they were on the ball um, and I felt like it was maybe easy for them to just get time and space to just ping balls down channels for them and um, second half I thought that was sorted out. Um, Jack Harrison is someone who I've been um, traditionally quite uh, negative about uh, but his off the ball stuff is just brilliant. Yeah. Um, again that was really obvious in the second half yesterday. Um, not the sort of game where he's going to thrive on the ball but actually a game where he's really useful off it and I really benefit, really um, appreciate him in those sorts of games. Same with Stuart Dallas, actually. I, I thought he had a fairly good game yesterday too, uh, after being quite critical uh, too. But it's those games, isn't it, where where we, in terms of transition, we don't actually have to do much to get the ball into their half. You just have to beat their early press yeah. and that's it. Um, yeah. And that's where we're going to fall down because teams know that you can just let leads come at you and they're not going to break you down very easily. So why would you spend your time messing around with a high press, getting exhausted or messing around with a mid block when you can just sit back into your two lines, um, absorb the pressure, win the ball back and then decompress quickly. Um, So that's going to be the problem. And uh, yeah, it will no doubt be a problem for the rest of the season and we will have this conversation every week and it will soon become grating. (laughs) But here we are. Uh, Richard Lang, friend of the podcast, says, why do we keep playing Tyler Roberts at 10? 
Uh, we've talked about him a bit here, but um, why why do you think Bielsa keeps uh, persisting with him, Darren? I haven't got the faintest idea, <laughs> I have to say. I, I really rate Tyler Roberts, but I really rate him as a nine. I, I, I think he's. I think that's if he's gonna if he's gonna make it at a top level club, he needs to be playing as a centre forward because time and time again he's brought on in this position which doesn't really suit him. He, he's too, you know, he's kind of he seems to be too ponderous on on the ball to kind of really make a difference in the ten. And, and he's one of those players where you know he's, he's got close control, he can beat a man, he looks good, but actually does it? It, it very very rarely ever leads to anything when he's playing from the midfield. Um, so. Yeah, I, I, I think that that his um, his role in the squad needs to be as a as a backup striker and 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 perhaps as a backup wide player. But 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 that's it for me. I I, I can't see him as as a midfielder at all. Yeah, I presume you agree, Tom. Yeah, I agree. Either uh, as a number nine, whether that be as a replacement for Bamford or alongside Bamford, really. Yeah. Right onto the defensive side of things. Sorry, I realise time is ticking on, so let's try and rush through these I think we've talked about some of them but um, again question from Daniel Moroni just saying Ailing caught t- out twice for the first and third goals and he gave the ball away quite a bit did we see his limitations tonight in defending quick counters and build up against a team sitting deep thought Dallas looked more comfortable throughout in both aspects uh, I thought this was true I actually thought Ailing had a really poor game yesterday he looked off the ball quite sloppy which isn't like him um, there's a lot of time where it felt as though he was, and I don't think it's because he was outpaced. I just think he was, he just wasn't making the effort to make sure he had a step on the player that he was marking, or that he he just sort of gave the gave gave up on the ball a little bit. I mean, we've already talked about the first goal. He's out of position for that, and just sort of feels as though he can get away with it by just sort of telling Robin Koch to pass it back to the goalkeeper and there's other areas throughout the game where you can see him just sort of being a little bit off the pace which is unlike him he's usually so so good on that he gets rolled so easily for the third one as well by um by Madison yeah it just didn't look sharp it didn't look yeah. like he was expecting or maybe maybe once that first goal went in there was just a lot of uh, just felt like we got a lot of quite flat as a team it's just sort of like oh here we go given away a goal we've not yeah. made them work for this at all and and we just needed a bit more pep I think and I know that's a very uh, non-statty thing to say but it we just we, we usually look so sharp in those situations and we didn't last night so and I think a lot of that came down to Ailing 100% yeah. agree yeah uh, Lassa da Pettersen said, what's up with Luke Ayling trying to, I think he means fake a penalty kick? Embarrassing. We have to expect bad performances from time to time, but not faking. Um, not much has been said about that. I think we would have been absolutely livid if a player did that against us. And to be, yep. to be fair to Leicester, I didn't think they made a big thing of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll talk, we're going to talk about this in terms of uh, trying to game the system. Everyone's trying to do it. I just think Luke Ayling's bad at it. Um, and, you know, we, we, we can talk about him sort of um, coming up against, well, waiting for the challenge to come in and getting that all wrong. But uh, what's your take on that, Darren? Our friend Joe Hill would have called him a bloody diving, <laughs> bloody bastard. Um, so it's a good job he's not on and I've got to impersonate him for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, they all do it. Let's not pretend that this isn't something which all pro players at the top level of the game do. Um yeah, he was expecting a challenge which didn't come, and it's it's as simple as that. The the the, the defender pulled out, and Ailing still acted as if it had happened, and and he looked a bit daft. 
<laughs> you could see on his face as soon as like the camera yeah. turned to him, you were like, "That's not a yeah. penalty." I didn't even need to see the replay. I just knew yeah. that he'd he'd, yeah. he'd not um, he'd gone he down. He was a bit sheepish, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. What did you make of Ailing overall? I thought he struggled. He looked quite ponderous. He didn't really know where to go with Barnes or not a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah. Um, I think the, probably one of the things that stayed in the championship with Ailing is his ability to dive because he's definitely a, ch- a championship level diver. We'll give it. We'll give him that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It's one of those things. He, I thought he did. He did have a poor game, but I'll I'll forgive him for that because he's been absolutely outstanding in every in in every other game. And I think it was. I think what happened. I think you're right, John. It seemed to me that once we'd conceded that first goal, there was a kind of collective shitting of pants that happened. And 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 what it needed was either Ailing or Cooper or Click to kind of really get hold of the game and kind of really get get the other players through that part of the game or Pablo um and and it just didn't seem to happen they all seemed to be collectively a bit lost for for that kind of that until until we conceded that second goal the view from 27A says we seem to be short on pace at the back. Cooper, Koch, Dallas and Strauch, not the fleetest on their feet. Worrying against elite strikers like Vardy, do we need a rejig at the back to counter this threat? If so, what? Um, I don't think Koch's that slow. No. I don't think Strauch is that slow once he gets moving. I think most centre-backs are like that. You, yep. It's easy to think of pl- quick players in terms of players with good acceleration. Um I don't think Cooper's that quick <laughs> and Dallas isn't either but um, I don't think the issue necessarily is going to be to do with pace um, I don't think here's the here's the thing how many times do you think we felt at risk because of Vardy's pace and um, Barnes's pace yesterday not that much I don't think I think it was more to do with their clever movement to be honest yeah. I, th- I think yeah. particularly with Vardy um, there were a couple of times in the second half where he just ran in behind one of our centre backs off the shoulder and, and the pass was there yeah. um, I think I think you're absolutely right there were you know, there were a couple of times when he, when he got in behind on pure pace but he's one of the quickest players around and he's, he's, he's superb at that acceleration yeah. so that's always going to happen and I don't care which centre back you're playing against you're absolutely right Vardy's going to be able to outpace him over, over 10 or 15 yeah. yards I think there's one occasion where Vardy got through because yep. of pace, and that was when Melier pulled off a decent save, I thought, or at yep. least closed it down well. Um, the, the, in fact, the only time where we really got done for pace, I think, was probably Schenger's under, um, setting up the third goal. Yep. Um, other than that, I didn't think we were hugely struggling. And that's just a funny thing as well. Right? They they set up to counter-attack, but did, they didn't really have to do that. There's, I think the one goal, really, where they counter-attack, isn't there? And, the, uh, and that's it. It's the third goal where the ball goes boom to Madison, Madison to under, chips over the keeper and um, Vardy slots in. That's a decent counter-attacking goal. <laughs> Even that one started with the ball in, in their keeper's hands in possession. Yeah. I guess I'm just sort of meaning a quick, direct attack. Oh, right, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In that sure. sense, yeah. But yeah, even, yeah. even, I mean, I guess the first one technically did that, but I don't, I'm not counting that one for, for obvious no. reasons. Yeah. Um, Anders Lagerfjord says, who plays in Calvin's slot next? Strauch and Click both, ha- both had a go now. How do you see their performances? Uh, I think we touched on this a lot, but I did want to hear your thoughts on who should play there next week. So, Tom, who do you play in that slot next week? Stroik, 100%. Um, I think he did actually in the twenty minutes he had against Villa, he looked all right. He just the yellow card really. I don't. We don't. We don't. We're never going to know why he was taken off. Um, I don't really like Click there anyway, but I definitely want him further up the pitch. So yeah, definitely Stroik for me. Yeah, agreed. And then one final question, especially for Darren. 
Stevie Cake says, Melier looked like his confidence has been sapped tonight. Do you think it's an inconsistent back line or just pressure less to put on tonight? Or was it an early mistake slash short back pass from Koch who did it? Um, I'm sure you're going to say you didn't think he had that bad a game. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to proceed this by saying I didn't think he had that bad a game either. So off you go. Why was Melier, why was Melier the best goalkeeper in the world yesterday? No, he wasn't. But I just fundamentally disagree with the premise of the question. <laughs> I think I, I thought Melier was was by some considerable distance the least of our problems yesterday. Yeah, totally agree. There's the one thing where he's under pressure, keep the ball out. I'd much rather yeah. he did that than kicked it straight at the player advancing and, and put it in. I thought he's some couple of great saves. Yeah. The second goal was like unfortunate. He stopped the first one and um, that was a great it was a great save. He had a great save against Harvey Barnes as well. And yeah. uh, other than that, didn't really do anything wrong. Nope. No. Right. So um, usually at this point, I ask for three positives. I struggle to think of three positives. So I'm going to ask for a positive each from you. So um, can you can you give us one positive thing from from yesterday's performance, please, Tom? I've got two written down. Can I can oh. I have two? I've, I've got, got two, two yeah. as well. I've got two as well. Okay, cool. Well, I'm, my second one's a bit of a stretch and I'm probably going to get slated for it. But um, <laughs> Great. So <laughs> do it. <laughs> Is it that you had a really nice pint in the second half or something? Is it? I, I've got three. I've got, I've, I won 25 quid, so that's my first <laughs> one. Um, my second one. All I'm because gonna, of us, really, right? Yeah. So, that's yeah. what you said. Just if you, we're actually doing betting advice now on our, our stats, aren't we? <laughs> can, I ta- can I take my commission? <laughs> All bets, aren't we? You can have a pound, Darren. I'll send you a pound. Thank- <laughs> Cheers, buddy. <laughs> um, I'm going to go for Costa. I thought he looked good, um, especially... He was probably the only good thing about the first 20 minutes. Um, and then my second positive, which isn't probably won't go down well, I thought Bamford did okay, because in games in the past where he's missed those chances, I think he stops making the runs um, um, to sort of like avoid getting more chances, but he still... He, he still tried to get in the box, and the, if he hadn't been, his touch was was he had a bad touch, didn't he? Where he should have got through and goal, but I'm going to blame the weather there, not Bamford. Um, so I actually think he had a decent game, and he did everything we expect to defensively. So I think to say I've seen a lot of slating of Bamford as you'd expect, and I think it's incredibly harsh. Yeah, he's crap again now, isn't he? After, after his hat trick. <laughs> he didn't score this week, so he's bad, right? So yeah, no, I, I I agree with you, Tom. I thought Bamford was fine. Hmm. Um, what are your two positives? Uh, my positives were Costa was one of them. I thought oh, I nice. agree with Tom. I thought I thought he played really well. Um, I thought he was he was our primary attacking threat more or less throughout the game. Um, in fact, I'm I'm going to double up on, on, on that and I'm going to say I thought Pervader did quite well when he came on in in the second half. He would be another positive, and my third one would be would be Melier's performance because I th- I thought he was I thought he was really solid. Yeah, I would. I think I would add to your positives with. Uh, I thought Dallas played well. Yeah. Um, and I also wanted to say that positive was we were absolutely abject for the first 20 minutes and we pulled it back around. Um, and I thought we could have just let it go and just absolutely capitulated and we didn't. I think we were unlucky to, to give away four goals, but I would have. I was sort of thinking if this continues the way it's going, we could be giving four goals up in the first half. So I was quite pleased that we managed to sort things out after 20 minutes. So that would be my other positive. Yeah. Uh, right, looking forwards, one more question. Um, Joshua Annis Brown says, we've now played Wolves and Leicester, who are two of the best counter-attacking teams in the league. Next is Palace, who play in a not-too-dissimilar way. How do we beat them? What's the key? We are obviously going to do a preview for the Palace podcast, but I did want to just hear you two um, give your thoughts on on whether or not you know this sort of deep-lying counter-attacking team is, is, is going to be a problem and if you have any solutions to it. So, Darren. 
I think I think Palace tend Roy Hodgson teams always tend to play in in a, in a very kind of strict four four two. So I think that the, the, there may be a little bit more space in and around um, them to to pick through. Um, I think the other thing is yeah they've. Palace are, are a team that that have got some really good players going forward, and notably Zaha. But I, but I don't think that their their standard, their top performer, is as, is as good as um, as Leicester, and I I, th- I don't think they'll cause us quite so many problems. Um, I also think that, that we do tend to learn from things as a team, um, and I, I I suspect that that there will be a kind of renewed um, intensity to the particularly the early part of the game. I think also Palace may, may want to come out a little bit more given that it's at home. Um, although with no fans in the ground, maybe that's a bit of a moot point. I don't know. Tom? Don't concede in the first two minutes. That helps, <laughs> usually. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> I, um, I think as well, I don't think... Is, I don't know who actually plays up front for Palace at the moment. I, I know Batshuayi is there, but they their striker isn't as good as Vardy. And I think one... One of the things we did struggle with was like Vardy was moving between our centre backs, which made marking so hard. And I, I think that I don't think we'll see that on Saturday. So uh, hasn't think- Zaha been playing up front for them, but 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 sort of doing it from a wide, coming in from the wide. So I think I think he may cause us some problems. Oh yeah, he definitely will. But I just I don't think he's as good as Vardy is. Um, no, so no. I think it should be. It's worrying that we're going to have to try and break down another team, but I don't think they have as many weapons on the break or catching us in transition that um, I'm as worried about. Yeah, so that is our review of the game yesterday. May we never talk about it again. May we not return to this point in the same way that Southampton have to return to their 9-0 loss and use it as some kind of narrative device. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But we'll be back, as I said, on... Uh, I think we'll be back on Thursday to to preview the the Palace game. So do if you want more of a of an in depth take on on Palace, do uh, make sure you catch that. Other housekeeping stuff. If you do like our content and want to see more of it, we have a Patreon channel, uh, which allows you to get special content that isn't freely available. Um, we have lots of stuff over there. We have um, um, bonus podcast episodes we have video analysis we have some written stuff as well uh, i spoke to focus on leagues this week about the under 23 so there'll be a podcast going up on that and my video analysis of of the leicester game will be up there tomorrow i think three people who have done that are niall keller simon Ossett, and mark Forsyth. and so thank you guys for for joining us but if you are interested in in seeing what goes on over on a patreon you can find it at www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and with that we arrive at the end of the podcast and all that there remains for me to do is to say thank you tom thank you very much thank you darren thank you i'm now gonna go watch the u.s election and it's always the hope that kills you isn't it <laughs> And we'll be back after the apocalypse on Thursday.
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.